to me about lying! Don't make him mad, whatever you do. Don't make him mad. It's all right, Amos. We just don't want anyone to get hurt, that's all. Then get me my money and my chopper and be quick about it! podcast that joyfully dissects the filmography of one of America's most unique and engaging leading men, Nicolas Cage. I'm Nate Porter, and with me is my racially sensitive co-host, Britt Porter. Hello, everyone. I, I... That's how I introduce you all the time. This is my racially sensitive oh, wife, Britt Porter. At like dinner parties where I'm not there and that sort of thing? At, at every sort of racially charged event at all the rallies we go to. Excellent. Well, good to know. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell them how CageCast works? All right, folks. We are in the process of watching every Nicolas Cage film in order, according to the film's release date. We'll be reviewing every film in which Nicolas Cage had either a starring role or an integral supporting role. This week, we're discussing the 1993 film Amos and Andrew. Right. We will break down the film's plot and themes, and then afterward, we will rate the film on a scale from zero to four stars in three different categories. The film's entertainment value, the film's artistic value, and then in terms of Cage's performance. On our last episode, our cumulative score for Honeymoon in Vegas was a 12.5 out of a possible 24, which puts it in ninth place out of the 13 films I've reviewed thus far. Sort of middle of the pack. Right. Will Amos and Andrew claim the top spot this week? You will have to listen to find out. As a reminder, we do not share our scores with each other before the show. We round out the show with our patented cage cast running totals rapid fire questionnaire, which in time might be the only thing that sets us apart from the growing throng of other Nicolas Cage themed podcasts. This is true. There are like, I've, I've discovered in the last few weeks, there are like three or four other Nicolas Cage podcasts that are doing exactly what we're doing. Yeah. I would like to say that we have been doing it since 2011 and well, they've already like all caught up yes, with this. I was going to say, you know, us. with so a, what are a, doing? A, lo- a definite sabbatical folks, there. Folks, you, you've, you, you've, you've hitched your wagon to the wrong horse. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's not too late. It's switch over. Yeah. Get with the goot. We also discovered... Oh, yeah. Basically, this same idea, but with Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. That's a, that's a choice. We are, we are intrigued. Color Us Intrigued. And their podcast has a great name. Gotta love the goot. Gotta love the goot. So, All right. if you're listening, gooters... Gooterinos? <laughs> there's a podcast for you, too. Hey, Brit. What? I think it's a good time to explain that we're not racist. Yeah, for sure. Because there's going to be a lot of... Okay, okay, I feel like our country is a hotbed right now. Yes, agreed. Like we're a, we're, it's a tinderbox. It is. Re- it legitimately is. This I, is a, 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 a... Let's just say that the the film viewing this particular round right. was oddly timed, given current, current yeah. cultural and political so events. So you're listening to this in 2022, probably. In your space suit, right. no doubt. <laughs> in your flying car. 
Which actually... Uh, well, least, you might be. At least your car is driving yourself. So your car is driving yourself right now. And you don't remember... Because you live in this utopian society seven years from now. Yes. And you forget that Ferguson... Stuff yeah. happened, yeah. you know? Uh, among uh, other... Uh, Balmer? Baltimore happened? Remember oh, that? All right. That okay. was a bad one. Yes, very. There's been a lot of bad ones, guys. And so we're going to be talking, frankly, about race. It's a big boy. We're going to get our big boy pants on because it's a big boy topic. Yeah. You can put your big boy dress on. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. God it's, forbid I have a pair of big that's boy also pants. Hate, that is hate speak as well. Wow. from me. Wow. That's, okay. This is dangerous. Yep. So I guess I am saying, please understand that we love everyone and that I, but I'm not sure if this movie loves everyone. Let's get we'll into some of, the, some of the details here. This movie came out on March 5th, 1993, which is like right after Rodney King too. So... Yeah. Okay. Crazy timing. Yeah, some riots going on, and so they're like, "Okay, well, it's this is a good time to let's to release this. Have this hilarious, whimsical, not funny comedy about yeah. race." But okay, uh, this is, came out around six months after Honeymoon in Vegas, so Cage is really getting his name out there. It didn't do well. No big it, bomb. Yeah, it was sixth in the box office, and if I kind of like this thing that I'm. I kind of love this thing that I'm doing now where I'm telling you like what else was out. So Falling Down, if you know that movie, Falling Down was number one. Also very racially charged. Also Groundhog Day was still on its run. Not at all racially charged, that movie. Not, I don't think there's any... I think everyone's was, white. Why didn't that movie anyway? Yeah. The Groundhog is brown. The ground, Well, and look what happens to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe there is uh, an undertone else? in Groundhog so, Day. So Aladdin was also out right now. In this time frame, Swing Kids. Remember Swing Kids? Oh, I loved Swing Kids. Oh, I bet you did. Yeah. Uh, Scent of a Woman, Few Good Men. So place this in that place in time. Total gross of this movie for its entire span was like $9.7 million, So really not good. Yeah. Interesting, though. The, there were a number of... Um, well, I say number of. There were some notable co-stars, which... In these early Cage movies, I'm finding to be sort of few and far between. Sure. Every two or three Cage movies, you get an actor that you go, oh, uh, them, that guy, or this person. What do you go? Oh, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, but there was there was a decent cast in Amos and Andrew, so it's, okay, it's let's, interesting. Let's, let's talk about them. Samuel L. Jackson Britt. Yes. Love. Yes, I hope they die. Hope they burn in hell. Yes, that was great. Sam, Sam you're in the room. I'm a big fan of Samuel L. Jackson. I think he's always engaging. Michael Lerner. Yeah, he's what? A decent character actor, basically. Yeah, yeah. He's really good, except for I realized something in this movie, and I'll tell you about it later, that uh, really ticks me off about Michael Lerner. Ooh, I'm intrigued. I'm fascinated. Yes. Dabney Coleman. Who is always great. Yeah. He's kind of one he, another character actor that you always have seen. He's but, enjoyable. Exactly. Yes. Uh, my favorite of the movie, whole movie, Bob Balaban. Oh, man. Okay. We'll talk about him. He is a very small but very significant role, yes. and it is hilarious. And I love him from all the Christopher Guest. Movies, oh yeah, right? totally. Yeah, yeah. He, he is, is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. He does a he does a very good. He has a great job. Yeah, and uh, it's almost like Christopher Guest just wrote his little snippet of character into. Well, this. I think when someone's really good at, at improvisation and, and really good at delivering lines like he is, it just it just worked. It was awesome. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, finally, to round out our notable co-stars, uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, yes. Which... And he's great. Yes. 
I know him best as Gus from uh, Breaking of the Bad. And he was not the same character. No, he was. That was Gus, a Gus character was a swing. A little bit more methy. A little bit. A little but, bit harder edged. Yeah, yeah. One might say a little bit more and vicious. He's not a good reverend in, the, in, the, in this one, in that one. <laughs> no. The director is Max Fry, and I looked him up on IMDb. It's kind of funny. I don't know anything about him, but this was his one and only directorial effort. Can you believe that? Shocked. Okay. But he did a little bit of writing. He did Band of Brothers, you know, forever ago. He didn't do anything for 10 or 11 years. And last year, he was nominated for an Academy Award for writing Foxcatcher. All of that from Amos and Andrew. Random, right? Yeah. It's weird that he did this movie and then was like silent and then did Band of Brothers and then had another long bout of silence and then is... Max, you know, Max Fry, where Max, you been? Where you been, buddy? Well, he's been writing Foxcatcher for 20 for, years. <laughs> forever. You know? And he's it, been working on that nose that Steve Carell put Yeah, on. he's been drawing pictures of it in his sleep. Max, well, I think you found your calling in writing and not directing. Just, yes. Just going to say. Uh, the cage genre. You know, we struggled with this one a little bit, but I think the closest we could come is... This is a character that we could describe as lovably dopey Cage. Yeah, it's I probably think so. the closest we can. I mean, he's come. not a bad boy or a rebel. No, definitely not. He's not action adventure. He's not batshit crazy. No, and you know it's interesting because we haven't seen lovably dopey now for a while. A number of films. I didn't think we would see it again. Yeah, I didn't either. It seemed like that was a predominantly um, young Cage role to play, and yet we see it here, here he is. in the here 90s. He is. Well, so. to varying results. We'll talk about it. And the last thing to talk about is the soundtrack. Now, it, I would say this is a varied soundtrack. You get some Mozart. Oh. You get some Bobby Darin, Beyond oh. the Sea. Everyone yeah. likes that. Of course. And a little Sir Mix-a-Lot. Of course. Just to round it out. Who also was in his, like, heyday prime, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Our for lo- sure. By the way, local boy Sir Mix-a-Lot makes it big. He's, he's from Seattle. <laughs> yeah, you know I know. That. Yes, and he is, So yeah. are we, and we're sitting in our our palatial our record. What you don't know is our recording studio is at the the top of the Space Needle. Yeah, we're ro- we're rotating as right now. Yeah, there's right fi- above the rotating right, restaurant. There's fish flying by our window. Yeah, that's they throw them that far. That high up. A lot of Microsoft employees around here. I'm trying to think of other Seattle things. Well, I'm sitting on a big pile of Starbucks coffee beans as I record this. I'm sitting on top of, and actually kind of literally Amazon Prime boxes. <laughs> you might actually be sitting on a stack of Amazon Prime boxes. And true. when we fly out of here, it'll be on that Boeing 787. Oh, there we, go. we hit them all. We hit them all. Seattle. all right. So you'll be hearing some of those songs throughout the podcast, and uh, I think we'll do a little Beyond the Sea. Oh, Take it away, Bobby. Yep, we're back. <laughs> Britt, what's... Sorry, I'm so... so well, I'm a dork. Uh, Britt, what's your history with this movie? 
nothing really. I feel like I vaguely heard of it, maybe sort of, but had yeah. no idea what it was about. And I think I'm probably glad that yeah. I didn't because when we got into it, it's, it is a little bit of a shock. Were you, uh, let me ask you this, senses. were you looking forward to watching this movie? Well, no, not really. You know, for <laughs> me, we're like, we're just getting through the early 90s where you know that there's there's some really good stuff coming in the mid 90s. Sure. You know, and so at this point, I'm, I'm, we're. I'm just trying to get through. Yeah, I feel like Cage definitely has some uh, epochs or seasons, if you will. We're in, right. We're yeah. close to I one. I mean, we had early Cage where he did a lot of experimental stuff. Then you have like crazy action Cage. And I feel like we're in the second – we're in Cage 2.0. This is good. I'm, I'm, I'm liking where I'm going here. Well, Man, I like what I'm doing right now. All right. Well, I'm Man, so – keep you're, on liking. Your humility I'm keeps you grounded. Really smart. So this is Cage 2.0. This is his kind of like in-between the times Cage. Well, and here's the fun thing too. In the very beginning – I had no idea what kind of cage, what to expect. No idea what kind of From cage. From Cage as an see. actor, you mean? Yeah, okay. absolutely. You know, his early work is not out there. You know, people don't recognize him from Birdie. They don't recognize right. him from uh, Wild at Heart. Even. Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which you know, and so we really didn't know what to expect and where we were going and what we were going to get next. But now, now we know we are on the cusp of big blockbuster. Yeah, celebrity cage where he was doing the heavy hitting stuff, mm-hmm. and so I think Cage I'm 2.0, anxious. Cage two started with Firebirds, and I, will probably end with Leaving Las Vegas. No, because that some I think that is the well, start of the next round of his. I think that's right. I think that's three point. I mean, I think that that you think that's Cage that's Superstar Cage three Well, I think that's what got him up right, there. Right, so right. you know, anyway, I I, I think that getting through some of these lesser knowns. Okay. Uh, while they are getting increasingly, there's, there, I think there's going to be some, some gems in here, but we'll, we'll yeah. get to it. Okay. Anyway. So, how about uh, you? Yeah, sure. I, I remember that this movie existed. I remember it was about race because of the famous Amos and Andy show. I remember that that was a thing, and was it was like white guys doing the voices of black guys on this radio show for like twenty or thirty years. Very racist. Definitely. I mean, at least from where I'm sitting now in 2015, seems pretty bad. And so I know that was was kind of a, a, a takeoff uh, on that. And so I was looking forward to it, I guess. But I know it's not very highly regarded critically or, or by his fans. No one's really seen it. No one really talks about it anymore. And so I was interested but didn't have high hopes. So Let's get to the... Uh, Plot synopsis here with all these pleasantries out of the way. Yeah, screw pleasantries. <laughs> so, folks, normally here's a little here's a little backstage pass into the inner workings of Cage Cast. Normally, uh, Mr. Nate Porter provides for us a synopsis, usually pulled from the. I'll, I'll write it or steal it. Wonderful world of Wikipedia, depending on my busy schedule. Right, and we read it to you, and it gives you, you know, a general gist. I think. Of the film before we dive headfirst into the nitty gritty. A GJ. A GJ, general gist. Yeah. A GJ. Uh-huh. Uh, this particular episode of Cagecast, we've got a treat for you. Yeah. That... Where? What is your source material for the synopsis of uh, of this episode's well, film? Mr. Mix-a-Lot. I think he was knighted. He must have been knighted because he's Sir Mix-a-Lot now. Wrote a song that breaks down this movie's uh, plot and themes. Was it a song, Nate? Well, it was a was, rap. Was it a song? Well, I mean, it was a, a, a rap song. It a was. A song of rapping. It was a song of rapping 
featured prominently in the uh, film's credits. Like, we were... I don't want to skip ahead too much. Okay, let's just say there's a rap song by Sir Mix-a-Lot in the song in the credits of the film that is amazing. We will we will play it for you at some point, but it was too good to my wife's chagrin. It was too good of a plot synopsis for me to overlook. Yeah, the song is literally a synopsis of the film. So, that is uh what you'll be hearing now as dramatically read by Mr. Nate Porter. I, I believe Brit has refused to take part in this. Yeah, adamantly. All right, so keep a straight face. I'll see what I can do. You can check my blackness. Fact is, I'm rough as a cactus. Now, I got to change what I practice. So I went to the suburbs and bought me a big house. And now they want to run a brother out? I'm a well-educated young maker of revenue, rolling in the big black BMW. So, I'm supposed to fit because I'm straight legit, but the police still want to trip. They accuse me of robbing myself. Never seen a brother with wealth. Hell, I thought I was big, and now I'm trapped in the house because the cops got my crib staked out. You know, Britt? <laughs> you with me? You tracking? Keep going. The police chief is running for commissioner, but if I get out of this chief, I'm getting ya. Chief needs a cover-up plan because he heard I'm famous. Called a crazy white boy. Name was Amos. See? I thought that Amos was a burglar, but when he saw me, he said I never heard of ya. He couldn't tell north from south, but Amos was my only way out of this suburban nightmare. Huh. Yeah, my suburban nightmare. I'm sorry. Listeners, I'm sorry. Page two. I may not look like Beaver, but you don't either. I bought a big house for the breather. Even in the suburbs, cops were my enemy, and all the rich liberals ain't friendly. So Amos got a shotgun and I got a skillet. Anything moving, I must straight up kill it. I'm a black man on the come up. I got done up and roughed up by a cop trying to get hooked up. I got a meal and I just sealed two more deals and now I'm running from the cops? This ain't real. You see, the cops sent Amos in to play that role, be a burglar and rob my home. They offered him a deal and then took it back. Old Amos should have signed them a contract. Now they want me for attempted murder, the craziest case that a brother ever heard of. The neighborhood fears me. They're scared to get near me. The cops want to smear me. It's my suburban nightmare. Suburban nightmare. Almost done. I used to eat pig feet. <laughs> now, now, <clears throat> now I'm eating lobster. Getting my check, boy, the hell with them propers. Life still ain't changed because I gotta get my hustle on just to get these cops gone. Four or five mil can't make my race change. It can make the pace change, but it won't maintain. I can't go outside to jog because my next door neighbor got a prejudiced dog. <laughs> but it's America, home of the free. Life in the burbs ain't nothing like TV. Now I'm running from the cop clan because my neighborhood told the cops it was a black man. Mr. and Mrs. Gilman next door puffing on a joint kinky to the core. And that's the typical role model. White picket fence, big house, and a bottle. Who can I blame for the stereotypical mix-up? The innocent again get tricked up. Things is supposed to change when you grow to my size. Open your eyes to my suburban nightmare. Okay. That was the right choice. <laughs> well, listeners, now you know what the movie's about. And that is what the movie is about. I was shocked. <laughs> I was, I was, it, I was, well, you'll hear it. I was shocked at this song. Okay, so our movie starts with just sort of some basic 
here's the town and here's some of our main characters that we're going to see later. And here's a fairy with Samuel Jackson, who plays Andrew Sterling, getting off on the little quaint New England town. And here are the neighbors. It's like a Nantucket kind of place. Yeah, it is sort of. We do get a very quick, like two and a half minutes in, a very quick shot of our hero. Nicolas Cage in... Playing Amos Amos Odell. Odell. And he's in jail. And he's in jail. Right. And he's like doing a headstand or something. Here's Samuel Jackson driving his BMW down the road to his new house. Here he is driving past the neighbors. And this is what starts up everything. He drives past the neighbors and neighbors get upset. Yeah. They think he's driving too fast and... Blah, blah, blah. And so now they've got, they've got a or chip. he's going to kill them. Yeah, a chip on their shoulder yeah. now at this point, basically. The first, like, 45 minutes of the movie, pretty oh, boring. It's bad, guys. It's pretty bad. I mean, if, if there's anything redeemable in this, which I'm going to leave up to you to decide, listeners, it's in the second half of the movie. Bear that in mind as you listen to us plot along right. here. The plot, the plot comes in pretty quickly. Right. Like, he's in jail. He's in jail for statutory rape? No, yes. is that what it was? Yeah, like under well, he, underage girl. So he's in jail on this island because he like was, wound up there accidentally. Oh, right, right, right. He didn't. He, he thought didn't. He was his going crime. To his crime was not committed on the island. He was just like caught somehow. Okay, he stole they, a car. That's what happened. Yeah, he, he stole a car. But, but he was actually given the car. Well, according to him, by a girl who was too young. Right. Which, according to him. Yeah, exactly. Which you know. So anyway, he's it's Nicholas Cage. He's in jail, and and those are kind of the basics of why Samuel Jackson plays Andrew Sterling, who is basically just moving into his home on the island, and and he's he's famous. Yeah, and we don't know much about why or who he is. We just know that he's a guy moving into his house on the island, and there's boxes, and he's unpacking, and blah blah blah. He's already in there. He's listening to Mozart. And the neighbors he almost mowed down in his car are walking around, and they believe that the house that he is has just bought is still being owned by their old neighbor. So apparently, right. an important detail that is only referenced one time is that this house was for sale, sold, and now he lives and there. And no one on the right. island seems to know that these people have moved Right, I don't away. know how that's possible, frankly. Like, how could you know, like, your good... Yeah, it's interesting that these people who say, oh, these neighbors, they're good friends of ours, don't know that the house has been sold. No one on the island seems to know that the house has been sold. Everyone else knows everybody else on the island. So I find that curious. I would also say the dogs are very racist. Uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot told us that, but the the dog of this couple automatically hates Samuel L. Jackson because he's a black man. Right, probably, presumably. In America. Right, exactly. And so that's... I mean, I will say this about this movie. The plot does kick in very quickly. Right. Well, so this neighbor couple, the Gilmans, we should identify them because they are Michael Lerner and uh, somebody else. They're in the film for most of it. The Gilmans are walking. They see their neighbor's home. They think that the neighbors are there. They're going to go visit. Yeah. You don't suppose it was Bob and Rita that almost ran us over, do you? Oh, my God! There's a black man in the Beeson's living room. He's still in the stereo. Bravo! He's taking everything. We've got to call the police. A heck of a way to stop this up. In this world of Nantucket Light, could he be the only black person on the island? It's entirely possible. So I can understand a little bit of their trepidation. This is a new, different thing. Yeah, it's just... 
perhaps it is the current uh, cultural tension that we are all living in. <laughs> but sure, sure. It's very strange to me that the whole premise of this, like comedy of errors or comedy of mistaken identities is fabricated immediately on this guy is black and he must be robbing their house. And it's just right there in your face. In fact, I believe it's even on the very back of the DVD case. Let's just put it out there. But don't you think they know what they're doing? I mean, don't you think they're not playing that as... Like don't tongue you think- firmly in cheek? Yeah. Don't you think they are they know what they're doing? Well, probably yes. I mean, if if this is being released around the time that Rodney King happened... Right. Presumably, yes. It does seem it's... a little. It does seem a little uh, naive, or or maybe a little um, simplistic way to present all that. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So, but, but I mean, this. I mean, th- I mean, this is quickly a like a three alarm fire, and like every every cop in the island shows up within a few minutes. Right. So Dabney Coleman plays the chief of police, right. Cecil Tolliver, who we also find out through some well-timed B-roll footage, is running for county commissioner. Which I missed. I didn't even understand that until I heard the Sir Mix-a-Lot song. Yeah. I think he basically sees this as an opportunity to sort of gain some voters and, you know, protect the island, and he's kind of a PR move, so to speak. Good, good. You saw someone in the house? Uh, What was he doing? Well, believe me, Chief Tolliver, I'm no racist, I can assure you of that. But when you see a black man on this island with his arms full of stereo equipment... You know damn good and well what he's doing. Do you know who owns the house? Bob and Rita Beeson. Very nice people. Have you seen them tonight? Hostages. He and his band of buffoon-level police and all, officers. It's all the Keystone cops. It's all oh, like... Oh, yeah. It's, none of these guys are good at their job. They're all just simple... And, backwoods country bumpkin and they all want to Englanders. See, yeah and this is like they all see this as like the biggest thing that's ever happened and casing the house and trying to decide what they're gonna do but then the media shows up right well media it's like tmz is now it's like some Except, local amateur guys on the island with a camcorder yeah driving like a yugo i want i mean like <laughs> Yeah, older guy, big bushy eyebrows. I love those eyebrows. If he winks, he'll fly away. So he shows up with his cameraman who very obviously blatantly says later in the movie, yeah, we're trying to get a miniseries out of this. And, yeah, we're trying to get know, prime time. We're network, trying to get network, prime network deal. network deal from the, this kind of coverage. And yeah, it's pretty, it's funny. So they show up. And there's a good, man, and you, you said nothing happens the first 45 minutes and it's true. Like... You know what's going on. We have explained it to you. And it's just this. It's that for like half an hour. Yeah. There's a scene where the cops are trying to decide how they're going to get Andrew Sterling well, his, out of his, the house. Uh, his car alarm goes off. His car alarm goes off. They One of the cops like smears dirt all over his face. So he's got in blackface, which is not lost on us. And says, well, we're it's for a night op. And so he's crouching by the car and... The alarm goes off, so they start shooting at the house. Well, and so one one thing I love about this movie is they really want to go a long way to show how rich and powerful uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character is because he's got the little bloop, bloop. He's got the little wireless. He's got the wireless clicker, which in 93. Oh, man. He had the car phone. Like, yeah. we are talking big time here, folks. Yeah. Okay. He's so got all the he, gadgets. He comes out to the... He, he just thinks that there's like a cat like jumped up on his car. He comes out to turn the, 
you know, alarm off. And the cop, again, very uncomfortably close to reality. The cop says, well, he's got a gun and starts shooting at him. Please, please, drop your weapon. What car? Put it down. Okay, okay, no. Police. Drop your weapon! What? Police! Police, you're under arrest! Drop it! I can't hear you! Let me turn off the Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, they he retreats into his house and they, like, shoot up his front door. And then the alar- car alarm goes off again. So then they shoot up his car. It's. Yeah, to make the alarm go off. To they, make the they, alarm like, go literally off. Literally, they, they, like, murder the car. Yeah, and then they retreat to the woods to figure out their next move. And, and like, in the meantime. And he thinks, well, he thinks that he's under a attack from someone like someone's trying to hurt him yeah yeah yeah. so and he also he doesn't have uh his phone connected yet that's a that's a little his landline that's a little detail yeah his landline so you know like in the meantime the gilmans are being interviewed by the fake press guy and so they're on tape saying you know when you see a black man in in an island home holding stereo equipment, you know what's going on. And it's just like really, right. very, really heavy bad. handed, very I mean, heavy just... handed. So that's all happening. And how does, if this is such a small island tight knit community, how does no one know these people moved? Yeah. There was I know. a for sale sign there. It just fell over. Yeah, I know. It had it's, to have been up the day before. It had to have been. Oh well, my gosh. And again, we cannot stress this enough. This sounds like it's an action packed movie. It's so boring to watch all of this play out. It's not... It's really boring. It's, it's like they just needed to fill time and so and, they did no editing whatsoever of these scenes. And, they no, left and no cage. In. No cage at no all. Cage. Like, no cage. Like s- tiny little, you know, interstitials, but... Yeah. He is just, yet to make a real solid appearance. So the first large part of this movie is just one big misunderstanding. And like attempted manslaughter, murder, right. ra- racist, horrible cops. Right. Yeah. The police chief gets the phone company to patch the line through so he can, in theory, so that he can call the thief in the house and try and, like, like coerce hostage, him out or something like that. Hostage negotiate. Yeah, kind of something thing. like that. Can you tell me who you saw? Was it just one man? Yes, yes, there was only one, but let me warn you. He was armed to the teeth. I I tried to turn my car alarm off, and he, and he started shooting. You should see what he did to my front door. Mr. Beeson? Beeson? My name is Sterling. Andrew Sterling. The police chief figures out who it is and realizes, holy crap. Right. I have made the worst possible mistake ever. Well, and exactly. And and apparently Andrew Sterling is the most famous black author in the country yeah every like, he's i'm trying all, to think of who like jesse jackson well or like before some some sort of well, civics leader or something well there's a scene before the cops show up that shows him reading forbes magazine where he's on the cover so he's on the cover of forbes and right. he's like presumably probably reading the article about himself so he's super so famous he's super famous everyone and, like, knows everyone who he in is. the country and everyone knows who he is. and everyone loves him 
basically. Yeah, he's like a celebrated playwright, right. and he won a Pulitzer Prize. And, and another interesting stuff. thing that they um, point out in this movie is that everyone on this island—it's like a very like liberal, democratic, very East Coast kind of elite place—but everyone's super racist when it when it comes down to it being in their yeah. home, home turf. Yeah, right. Basically, uh, it was a little interesting. Yeah. It, it, but it doesn't. I mean, we're making it sound more interesting. I think than yeah, it yeah. is because we've had time we're doing to sit a, and yeah. process. And we're think doing about a great this. job here. The movie did not. The the chief recognizes that he's in this in this pickle. He's in a pickle. He's in a conundrum here, and he's got Nicolas Cage on on kind of these nothing charges in his jail, and he thinks, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Amos O'Dell. What do we have here? A couple of drunk and disorderly convictions, and they're contributing to the delinquency of a minor charge. What do you have to say about that? She looked 18. Just cut the crap, okay? You listening to me? Uh, yes, sir. I go in, take the guy hostage, give myself up, and I'm on the first bus out of town. Ain't that the deal, boss? That's the deal. Just make sure that bus finds Canada and you're on it. There. Sounds like a good plan. Right, except that you've got Cage in the equation. Dun, dun, dun. So, a couple of notes about Amos O'Dell. Okay. He really does not come to life, and I use that term broadly, as we'll discuss later, until the last half or so of the movie. You mean, so, you mean he's dead? No, I mean, his character is extremely bland. Like flat, bland. Flat. He, they give him practically no lines. He says very little, even though he's on screen at this point in the movie. But he's not menacing. There's a whole scene in the jail cell where the police chief is setting up this deal for him. But Amos says practically nothing. It's like one-liners and throwaway lines. and Right. I mean, this movie is called Amos and Andrew, and Amos and Andrew don't meet until like a third of the way through the film. Yeah. It's really the Dabney Coleman show at this point, I feel like. It's, Lucky it's us, It's Cecil right? Tolliver's comedy review. Comedy of errors yeah. here. I feel like it's just a waste of cage potential. Right. I mean, this movie could have been a lot of different things, you know. And who would who's the star of this? Are they co-top co bill, billable stars? Well, on the... Movie posters they are, yeah. I, I mean, guess so. They, they're sort of co... I mean, I would almost say, because I was thinking about this when we were watching, I feel like Cage is more integral supporting, even yeah, though he is, he is billed as a co-star. Yeah, he's, star. he's certainly not the star of this movie. But I would also venture to say at this point that Samuel L. Jackson isn't either. Right. And so... So... Yeah, the, so the chief has to... There's not a strong Yeah, lead. exactly. The chief has to, like... He takes the tape away... Uh, from remember when the, the the amateur news crew was taping all this stuff when when they thought it was going to be this simple thing and he actually just rips their tape away from them and and they can't have it well, he's because trying to because he's trying to cover everything up yeah he's got he's got evidence that he responded to a super racist totally inaccurate right exactly charge son I'm afraid I'm gonna have to take that tape oh what about the First Amendment <sighs> fuck the First Amendment. And so, so they plant Amos there at the house, like right. They, okay, so at this point, so we should do this kind of like, where are they? What are they doing? Kind of thing. So at this point in the movie, Amos and Andrew are in the house, and the chief and all the cops are outside of Sterling's house. Of Sterling's house, right. okay. And so are the Gilmans. 
And the press, the fake press guy. You know, the other thing about Cage in this movie, he doesn't do anything cagey. No. Like, there's, like, one little part where he drinks a beer and, and like, whips his head around a la Zandali. But even that, like, there there really isn't anything that makes him, that kind of sets him apart and say, wow, he's really going for it here. Uh, last episode, Honeymoon in Vegas, there was a dozen scenes where he kind of loses it and goes crazy and at least makes it interesting. There is nothing here. Yeah, it's true. I feel like there's a lot of wasted cage potential. All right, turn around. Let's get a good look at you. What, uh... What are you doing in here? This is my house. No kidding. This is your house. You own this place. Yes, I own this place. You sure you ain't the cook here? Listen to me. I bought this house. I paid cash for it. I own it. Don't worry, bro. This is just for appearances. I'm not your brother. Nothing personal. Amos is playing his part. He's tied up Andrew in a lazy boy with packing tape and they're sort of having this exchange that basically I would forever just, though yeah forever like it goes on for 10 minutes I would of just them in the house it just as, talking I would imagine that they were supposed to try to be establishing some sort of get to know you relationship beginnings but it's on, but it's know, not but it's not and it's super boring and you kind of find out from the only thing you really get out of this is you find out who Andrew Sterling is, because there's no one at this point in the movie has actually explained why he's famous. So he tells us why he's famous. And you find out that because of his fame and because of his strong black voice for the black community and standing up for, you know, his people's rights and all of that, that he believes someone has hired Amos as an like, assassin yeah, to, exactly. to kill a, him, mm-hmm. right? To silence him. In a kind of a Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. kind and of Yes, and so that's what he way. thinks Amos is there to do. And Amos, to his credit, does not even know who the guy right. is. He's <laughs> bumbling idiot at this point. And so the the forces are starting to move. Like, people have heard in the, what, New York or, or wherever that Andrew Sterling is capt- being held captive. And so they're mobilizing. So they're getting everyone on buses, like, you know, a bunch of, like, the African-American community leaders and everyone are, are kind of they're they're gonna work it out and they're gonna kind of amass on this place they're gonna and, meet and they're gonna go up to this island and march right and, exactly and for protest the, for freedom that brother sterling has been yeah held and as we we do see quite a few you know different shots throughout the movie of where are people what are they doing how is this all going to convene You've got the, you know, black community getting ready. Like, it's the middle of the night. Right. And yet they're making phone calls and getting ready. And they're going to, you know, go up to this island and march on the police. In the meantime, back in Andrew's house at Sterling's place, Amos and Andrew are there. And this is kind of the point in the deal that Amos struck with the police chief where police chief's supposed to come in save Andrew, collect Amos. Right. It's all supposed to be wrapped up nice and tidy. But the real media has shown up. That's Andrew Sterling. Put your weapon down. Let your hostage go. All right, listen up. I want a million dollars. And and a helicopter or I blow him away. Thank you. Yeah, the real media, like the legit media are there, which puts pressure on the police chief. But also when he does decide to storm the castle, 
by and himself. By himself right. and save Andrew, he makes a very poor choice of words. Amos so down. You stay back. I mean, don't you come any closer! Give me the gun, Amos. Why don't you just go ahead and shoot the nigger? We don't want him on this island anyway. Drop the gun, Amos. You're not a killer. Just a cheap opportunist. Yeah, well, that makes two of us then, don't it? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that nigger thing, Mr. Sterling. I just said it in order to... Nigger that! Yeah, yeah, he could have, um... He could have been a little bit more discerning in what he said. Yeah, you think? Yeah, a little Maybe bit. Maybe a little. Andrew's having none of, of uh, that kind of that, that kind he's, of. He's sporting. Talk. A, he's sporting a tude. He is sporting a tude, and so he smacks the police chief over the back of the head with a frying pan, knocks him out, and so now the plot thickens a little bit because things have kind of gone sideways from the original deal. Right, and, and they're, now they're in it Andrew, together a little bit. Yeah, now Andrew is sort of implicated in some assault. If you will, sort of, kind of like he still wouldn't get in trouble. I mean, no, absolutely not. But and still. you know, it was like Cecil had it coming, right? But they sneak out. A- Amos and Andrew do. Yeah, they sneak out the back door, but no one knows they snuck out the back door, right? And so they have the chief tied up inside to a chair with like have tape ta- tape around his mouth, and, and stuff. they've taken like his radio, right? They've taken probably his gun. And they've also taken the tape that the press guy made. Right, of, not knowing of what it was. Because it was on the, the, Gilman the police chief had it on his, yeah. so on his they've, person. They've got, so they've got those things and they hightail it to the Gilman's house because that's next door. It's close by. Close by. And the Gilmans aren't there, right? The dog is there. Because the, the Gilmans dog. are like at the other house. Well, the Gilmans are in front of Andrew's house. Exactly. Because they're, you know, they've got skin in the game. Yeah. So, racist dog. I'm not shaking that dog's hand. But you hurt his feelings if you don't shake his hand. No. You think he's gonna hurt you? I'm allergic to dogs. You're allergic to dogs and you have hay fever. Yes, I'm allergic to dogs and I have hay fever. That's too bad. Anyway, to him, I'm probably just another nigga. Dogs are colorblind. I can look at this dog and tell he doesn't like black people. Well, one thing is for sure, he won't like the next one that comes in here if you don't shake his hand. Paw. They're over there, and so they're going to try to find a car or something. So we're like halfway through the movie, and there is a, a small blip on the radar of interesting. Sure. A tiny, well, tiny you, speck. You know what it is, is that... Is that uh, Cage and Jackson are actually finally starting to be able to play off each other? Yes, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's some like comedic tension mounting with the Reverend rallying the troops to get on the ferry and the media, and now the police chief is. I mean, now you're there's some elements of you know yeah. this and that. Happening. Okay, something something starting to move it's, forward. I, there's I, a little bit of momentum where before there was zero. But again. Little bit. We yes. cannot stress to you that this is still an uninteresting, right. poorly paced Again, because we are film. so articulate, it might seem that this movie is good. Right. Okay. It is, in fact, not good. So Amos and Andrew are at the Gilmans. 
Right. They where be- they make a few discoveries. They they well they befriend the dog. Right. Rommel is his name. Oh, Rommel. Rommel. And they decide... They find the, they find the car in the they, garage. They find the car in the garage. But no keys. But no keys. So then they start exploring the house looking for car keys. They find some interesting things in that house. Well, uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot says about the Gilmans that they uh, are kinky to the core. Why might that be? Well, one of the discoveries would be a nightstand full of dildos and sex grease. A, 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 a veritable cornucopia, if you will, of different uh, sizes, shapes. Colors. Textures. Battery operated. In addition... And literally the lube is called... Sex, sex grease. grease. And they're like... And this is Michael... Okay. Picture Michael Lerner and a bucket full of dildos. <laughs> oh, no. That's like a waking nightmare. I mean, that's basically what we what you have here. It's... This is Zandily level. Oh, well, well I mean, and then in there's addition no, to there's the, no nudity in this movie, unfortunately. Thank, Michael thank Lerner. Goodness. I wonder if we can. He's in a, he's in sensible khaki shorts and a Lacoste sweater for the entire film. He sure is, but uh, I'm sure he didn't want that getting broadcast out for the uh, entire American movie going audience to see. Oh my goodness! Well, and in addition to the dildos and sex grease, there is a series of uh, metal studded. Leather. Oh yeah, like S and M bondage gear. Oh, like a whole heaping pile of the bondage and gear. their pot. Now, okay, Brit, dig this. What this movie is trying to say is that even with the perfect exterior, I mean, we we have prejudices. We see these people as good, law abiding citizens. When in actuality, when you kind of like peek behind the curtain, they're freaks. They're total freaks. They're the freaks. They're the freaks. Sterling is the upstanding man. Right. And they're accusing him of being the, <sighs> the criminal. When wow. in reality, they're the, you know, criminal in the sack, you know? Wait, wait. Did you hear that? What was it? It was the sound of epiphany. <laughs> wow. I'm full of it. Deep, I, you guys. Deep. I, I, but the movie really is saying something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not doing it very well. Like, you can't have preconceived notions is basically what they're saying. Yes. Right. Of the of the two of them, they're the, they're the freaky ones. So, anyway. Uh, so, that's kind of a fun little snippet there in the middle of the movie. But that's maybe one of the only fun snippets. I mean, then we get another scene of Amos and Andrew having a little heart-to-heart over some doobies. Well, at least Amos is smoking. Yeah, he is smoking. And, you know, again, this would be great. If somebody told me, hey, Nicolas Cage and Samuel L. Jackson have a movie where they sit around and talk for an hour, hey, sign me up. Sounds great. Take my money now. And they just ruin the opportunity. Yeah, it's a lot of just stale dialogue. And I think it's supposed to, again... Kind of trite and cliche, kind yep. of just very vague, trying to be deep, but just, just very surfacy, racial. Your wife's white, isn't she? You think you've got it all figured out, don't you? Hey, I see it all the time. Black man makes a name for himself, gets a little money in his pocket. Next thing you know, he's got a skinny little blonde with a tit job. And he's living large in a fancy-ass neighborhood, just trying to forget who he is and where he come from. You ever been to New York City? I grew up in New York. We lived in a nice part of Harlem. 
When I was 12, I came home one day with some friends. We were talking loudly and using the slang we'd learned in the streets. My father overheard us. He told my friends to leave. Then he marched me into the bathroom and washed my mouth out with soap. It was because he didn't want me sounding black. He was an educated man, my father. He had a college degree, just like his father. He was an accountant. He worked for a big New York firm. My father made it in the white man's world. He wanted his son to make it in the white man's world, too. But don't you for one second think that I've forgotten who I am or where I come from. They're, I don't know, it's like they're trying to figure each other out. They're trying to gain common ground, or Amos is trying to do that, and Andrew is just caught in this situation he couldn't possibly, oh, yeah. well, you know, want when, more than to be out of. And, and uh, Amos has Andrew tie his tie for him. Well, yeah, there's a scene, like, again, this, this like, dialogue stretches interminably throughout different rooms in the house. Like, it's cut, that you cut away from it for a moment to see police cars driving down the road or to have a, you know, supposed, like, comedic break with these bumbling police officers. And then you cut back to Amos and Andrew, and now they're in the bedroom, and Amos has put on a suit, and Andrew's tying his anything, tie. Do you and think there's just, anything between, like... Tying the tie and tightening it around the neck like a metaphor, I mean, like a lynching kind uh, of thing. Like, I, don't I don't want to go wanna, too far. But, I don't want to even give the movie that much. But that's credit. what this movie. That okay. It's so. It's just uh, this movie is trying to be deep. I think it's oh, trying man. to like. I feel like, like we're overthinking it. No, now. like a classical farce, right? Like it's trying to say something important through whimsy. It really is. Like, that's the point of this movie, is like, we're going to say something deep about race in a way that's palatable for the masses. That's what they're trying to do. Max Fry, I'm calling you out. Yeah, Max Fry, listen to this podcast and confirm or deny, please. <laughs> I, I, it's just, it's just uh, I, I'm down with that. I, I want the well, farce. I, I want it. Because, I just, it's not well because done. Because we want to justify or make the um, existence of it okay somehow it's a badly done movie cage is not good in it the lines they give samuel L. jackson are not good the the things about it that are funny are all of the side peripheral right you know like they, there's a scene there where, are no there are some funny i mean we found ourselves laughing a little bit more as right the movie but progressed. it's per, it's all peripheral right and it's and if that is what they're trying to do what i find distracting from this this theory that you're positing about what the film's trying to do what i find distracting about it is that it's interspliced with just old school comedy yeah clown car look at these crazy cops yeah like hijinks and sue i mean that's and that is a distraction for me if it's supposed to alleviate the potential tension that builds up if it's supposed to like you said, make this movie palatable for the masses where you can have an, a quote-unquote honest conversation about race. I don't know that you were, that's what this is actually doing. But, I mean, those scenes are funny, but it feels, it feels like li- it's... They're a little funny. But, so, as an example, folks, at this point in the film, the cops have brought in Bob Balaban. Well, let's do a where are they check. Okay. Okay, so Amos and Andrew and the racist dog are in the Gilman's house. Yes. The chief is tied up in the in, in Sterling's in, in house. In Sterling's house. 
And all the cops are there because they think Amos and Andrew are still in Sterling's house. Yes. And so they bring in like this hotshot uh, negotiator. Bob Balaban. And he's calling. So this is this is probably my favorite scene of the entire movie. What do you think? Well, he initially makes a phone call. Right. Like out in the woods with the cops to try and establish relationship with Amos O'Dell. Because now Amos' right. his name is out there as the as the kidnapper and thief. But he calls and he gets the machine. Or right. He, yeah, right. He gets the machine. And But he knows. You remember how the machine. This is old school, guys, but you used to be able to call someone's house and a machine would pick up the phone and you could hear throughout the house what the person with a message, the voicemail that this person was leaving. Well, it wasn't a voicemail. It was a recorded message. Right, right. But you understand what I'm saying. Like none of you, all you hipsters out there, you don't get it. But Bob Balaban, the hostage negotiator, basically just starts talking. I'm here to help you. I'd like to be your friend, Amos. Would you like to be my friend? Well, Amos, I just think that we're probably very much alike because I can be very passionate and demanding and uh, and really, and have quite a temper. <laughs> Actually, I have a very, very serious temper. Hmm. But we really must be able to discuss our problems and resolve them in ways that society deems acceptable. Violence is never the answer. I remember my 11th birthday. I had a party. And my mom and dad hired a clown. It was a very, very funny clown. And he juggled and did magic tricks. My friend Ruby peed on the floor. She was really embarrassed, but I, I had a good time. And then the next year, my mom called this house to hire him for my 12th birthday party. And his wife was just there. And she says... I'm sorry, he's not a clown anymore. He's at school learning how to be a dental technician. I, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. And then I had a rabbit. His name was Nosy. And I really loved him, but uh, he scratched me and uh, he had to be returned to the pet store. And then I wanted a pony. Oh, God, how I wanted a pony. But they gave me turtles. I had 15 turtles and they lived in a really big tank and we put in palm trees. They were plastic and a lot of small islands, but I I never gave up on that pony. I do think it's super funny, but I also think it's like a it's a it's an oasis in the desert wasteland of comedy yeah. in this movie. So at some point in his ongoing dial or monologue, the chief wakes up and sees that he's tied up and is tied to this chair and somehow manages to like squeeze his feet out of his tied up boot so that he can walk but he's still tied to the chair so he's hunched over walking and then he walks over the broken glass from the shattered door window right, and right, cuts right, right. then he falls so then he falls in his chair down the front steps and yeah we were laughing because it's so ridiculous but when you try and put it into this package of this movie is actually trying to say something I see what you're saying it you're just saying feels like it's totally inconsistent yeah, it just feels like a distraction or it just feels like it's a poor way of trying to ease the potential tension that might come from broaching and, this And the topic. problem, I think you're right, and the problem is there's not really a lot of tension built up. Like, it, would, it might be welcome if they had really, if the scenes between Cage and Jackson were like super tense and, oh, I can't believe they said that and where is this going to go? But it's not that. No, it's right. super boring. Okay. Uh, the Gilmans head back to their house. Right? Yeah, I can't remember why. At some point, Cage... A la Odell, 
ordered pizza before this. Yeah. Yes, because they couldn't find the keys to the Mercedes, and so Cage ordered pizza so they could hijack the pizza delivery truck. And he could get away that way. Correct. Yes. In the process, Phil and Judy Gilman head back to their house where they find Amos and Andrew. Now there are legitimate hostages. Right. And now we have continuous scenes of dialogue with these two people. And then we learn their life story. Just talking, talking, Just talking. lots of talking. And Amos the entire time is trying to get the keys to the car, and which... he won't give it. Like, like Mr. Gilman literally would rather be dead than give the keys to this car. Yeah. He I don't understand. Not, he will not give up the keys to this Mercedes. It was a gift from his wife, but it wasn't his current wife. It no. Was his... <laughs> but there is a pretty funny scene of that game we used to play when we were kids, and you try to open the door, and your brother or sister's inside, and they're hitting the, the, the door lock button down, you can't open it up. And that happens for about four minutes. Ah, two minutes. 30 seconds. It happens once. It, it happens. <laughs> but it, it, I, I laughed. Like, so there's little things like that that are silly enough that, yeah, okay, you got to chuckle out of me. Good, yes. good job, movie. Yes. Yeah. There's a few, like, chuckle scenes, but then a lot of boring racial dialogue. I don't know. Yeah. So all of these things are sort of happening kind of simultaneously, right? Police chief... Is Finally, getting, he gets out of the he house. He gets out, and, and the Gilmans return home, and Amos and Andrew are looking for the car keys. And, and now the, the, media house is, is going the house crazy is empty and, now, right? Yeah, so now, so they get the chief out. No one's in the house. But they're still all talking to the house like there's someone there. And in the, like, and what has been going on, because the media actual press is there, is this has gotten out nationally, and now like they're call, they've called in like the guard or the SWAT team or um, it's like additional backup. So now it's no longer local bumbling idiot law enforcement. Like now the big dogs are coming, and there's no way for them to be called off. And the media is there, and the police chief wants to say face. We, we are two thirds. It's an election year. Right. We are two thirds of the way from this movie, and still, still, I'm waiting for something exciting to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's very slow. You talk, know? talk, talk. It must have been cheap to make. I'm, I know they only made nine million on it, but it must have cost nothing to make. I would think so. I hope. I hope so. And I, I will say this too, like Cage doesn't get progressively better. He has more lines of dialogue. He's His character is not exciting. Amos is just this kind of like idiot guy going through life. No. He's a petty crook. Yeah. There's nothing engaging. He's nothing big time. He never like, he's not a vicious monster who, his character is so very bland and he does nothing with it, which is... A damn right. shame in my book. But. At some point, they pop in that, remember that VHS tape? They pop it in and they realize what the chief kind of did. That he was stereotyping and racist and basically well, it, everything he was saying in the beginning was, he's covering up. Well, now. it's not the chief so much. So the Gilmans, oh, and the Gilmans were on that too. The Gilmans, right. Phil and Judy, think that Andrew is kind of on their side, right? And they and they keep saying like, "Oh, we're so sorry. We're so glad to have you on our island. We're so proud to have you as neighbors. We really want to get to know you and your wife." And then Amos pulls out this little ace card and says, "Well, let's see how you really feel about him." Right. Sure. And then Andrew sort of finds out the entire evening's hijinks and events are all because these guys are racist idiots. Are racist idiots. Right. Exactly. Talk about the. Guy falling. We, we thought. I know what you thought. It was, it was an honest mistake. It was supposed to be different. 
It was supposed to be the kind of place where you don't lock your doors at night, where you don't count your change at the grocery store, where a man in his own home doesn't have to worry about being shot at and nearly killed by the local police simply because he's black. You know, if that's true, you have one heck of a lawsuit pending. As this is happening, if you remember, Cage ordered pizza 10 years ago, it feels like. And lucky for him, the pizza delivery guy is actually a 16-year-old girl. 17. I'm sorry, a 17-year-old girl. Which, okay, of all the things that disturb me in this movie, first off, she's supposed to be 17, she's obviously 30, so whatever. Like, pick pick a girl who's 17, but whatever. She, hmm, how to say this? They flirt in, incessantly. Oh, yeah. And it's played off as, like, a good thing. Acceptable. Like, like this is normal. And look at them. They have a, they have a spark. They have a connection. They have a thing. And she, he, he's what, 30? Uh, sure. I, I think 20, so. 26, 27? Sure. Yeah. She is an, a minor. And they're like, oh, isn't this cute? Like, the movie is saying, isn't this cute? I hope they get together. Yeah. Am I reading it wrong? No. There's a bunch of flirting. And in the end, well, for one, she doesn't bring a pizza delivery truck. She brings, like, a moped. So that doesn't really help him at all. He can't get away in that. Yeah, that's a good move. I like that. What's your name? Stacy. I'm Amos. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) We've been watching you all night at the pizza parlor. You're a lot cuter than your picture. So, how old are you, Stacy? Seventeen. You got a boyfriend? Yeah. Are you in love with him? Not really. You sure are pretty. You ever been to Canada? No. (laughs) That's where I was headed before all this happened. (laughs) I guess it's cold up there. I guess that all depends. Call me. Like, and, then she just ta- a, and then she just takes off. Was that accept? Was that acceptable? I feel like if racism wasn't acceptable in 1993, how was statutory rape? Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. It's it it's again. It's like why? And this is not Valley Girl Nicolas Cage. This is not dreamy boy in blue Nicolas Cage. This no, is he's like, like disheveled hobo game. Yeah, they like he's got dirt all over his he's, face. His and hair is thinning at this suit. point in real yeah. life. Like there is nothing appealing. No, I know physically well, for or Stacey, sexually is. for yeah. this guy. I know, but Stacy is all about it. Well, Get, she's like, well, I gotta go. I gotta go home. Like sh- she's out of there, and he's like, hey, on your way. Can you take this tape and give it to the first reporter you see? Right. They'll know what to do with it. They'll know what to do with it. Exactly. So now the tape is out there in the world and he's going to take down the police chief and this whole racist island. Can I say this? The the Asian reporter's name was Wendy Wong. Oh, yeah. Again. Again. It's that sort of insightful cultural commentary that sets this movie apart from all all the rest. Right. Do the right thing. Eat your heart out. So these sorts of like pseudo-serious topics are hot and heavy at the Gilman home. Meanwhile, back at Andrew's house, the house is empty. The police chief knows that. One of his one of deputies. his deputies doesn't know that. The deputy 
left before the police chief was rescued, I think under the pretense of, like, he's going to go in under cover of night and do this, like, bold rescue of the chief who is obviously being held hostage in the house. So he puts on blackface, too, by the way. So he puts on blackface, too, and he's got, like, and he takes off his uniform or covers it up with a jacket and a hat. And so he is now in the house running around in blackface. Trying to save everyone. Trying to save everyone. Right. And But he looks like a legit thief. And as this is happening, the SWAT team moves in. Yeah. Right? And they, like, scale the roof and go in through the windows and do this big, crazy crazy. I mean, it's you know, a Christmas throw, vacation throw, like, level siege. Yeah. Scene shows, like, dozens of police officers, like, like, it's like um, storming the house. The Matrix 2 with all the Agent Smiths. Yeah. It's, it's like just that like many that. cops descend on this house. And it's like every room, no stone left unturned. And they find this deputy and they the chief basically calls the deputy. He well, says, well, that's Amos. He realizes that it's the deputy and not Amos and that Amos isn't there and Andrew's not there. And it's just getting worse and worse looking for the chief. Right. Because he's the one who's called this entire series of events to happen. And so, yeah, he basically has his two bumbling idiot officers take the deputy bumbling idiot who's passed out and say, this is Amos, and, like, take him away, trying to save face, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it feels like... Well, it's like a comedy of errors, right? And it's you very want it Shakespearean. To, you want it to build... To, it's, not even, it's not good. You want it to be building somewhere... Back at the Sterling, or back at the uh, Gilman residence. They got the Gilmans tied up now. In the sex wear, in the S&M. Well, I mean, what would you use to tie them up? Right. I mean, that's what that stuff's for. So it's actually getting put to good use. Amos finally gets the key to the car. He wants Andrew to drive it and have them go off into the sunset. Andrew says no. They kind of part ways. This is where the racial tension actually boils over, right? Quote, unquote. Right. I mean... It's it's the most direct the movie gets. Yeah. You think the whole world's against you just because you're black. Something don't go your way, it's because you're black. They had a beer at the supermarket, it's because you're black. It rains and you get wet, it's because you're a black man. Well, you saw for yourself, there ain't no conspiracy here. No plot to get you off the island. Nobody trying to assassinate you. That's all just as crazy as thinking that everybody with black skin is your brother. What do you know about black skin? I know for all your talk, you're about the whitest damn black man I ever met. You could call that a tense scene, but it's kind of not. And then, of course, what follows is another spoofy, hilarious, them rolling around on the ground, fighting each other. And it's it's meant it's like played off as comedic again. I mean, there's a mob well, yeah, so outside in the, of well, the Andrew's house. So in the meantime... The um the good reverend and his group have made it to the island and they have marched on the house and so they're protesting outside the house with like torches like and they basically storm the house. We want Brother Stone. We know he's in the house. Yes, sir. He is not in the house. He is in the house. No, he isn't. Yes, he is in there. I know you. You New York liberal. Bastard. You people aren't welcome here. Go back where you belong. Oh, we'll get the Come on, forward! Yeah, they do, and inadvertently set it on fire. Like the 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 protesters end up setting. They're the ones who end up setting Andrew's house on fire, right? And, and burn it to the ground. Yeah. So, and of course, then as soon as they see that they've set the house on fire, they all flee. 
Yes. So now we have Andrew's house is burning. No one's in it. Police chief is still trying to, I think, save face or somehow get out of this alive. They're tracking the fugitives at this point with with dogs. They're hot on the scent. Yeah, and Andrew and Amos have parted ways. So they got into their fight. Amos gets in the car, is going to make his way out of town. Andrew's on foot. I assumed going back to his house, not really sure. He's just trying to get away. Yeah. I know. Uh, Amos can't really get off the island because there's police barricades everywhere. So he turns around. So the movie's sort of at a lull at this point. Like, where... Whereas it has to be coming to an end well, soon. Well, it should be it's the climax, but it's long. still super boring, right? Yeah. In the meantime, we see young Miss Statutory Rape handing her tape to not just any member of the press, but local the- island reporter whose tape it was originally. Yeah, exactly. So he knows exactly what it was. There's not much more that happens here. I mean, yeah. Andrew is running away and Amos finds him and saves him running through this field, right? Basically. Saves him from the dogs that were chasing him and they apologize to each other. Yeah, it, you, it's disappointing because you, at this point, you really want this to end well. Like, you really want there to be some really satisfying conclusion where the chief really gets his, or Andrew's name is cleared, or Amos is cleared even, or there's something, they strike up a friendship that lasts forever. So there's something well, the, the, so, solid to The only thing that this. happens is that one of them had the chief's badge, and so the dogs find them, but they have the dogs sniff the badge. And so now the dogs hilariously are going to go after the chief. Yeah, so the kind of the last shot you see of the chief is that he is being interviewed by all of the legit reporters. The local island press guy shows up, flashes the tape, and says, oh, here's something that everyone would be interested in seeing. So you know that the police chief's career is, like, ruined forever. What effects will tonight's events have on your future? Oh, my God. Now, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to imply that I've given a moment's thought to November's election. Oh, chief, I wonder if the good people of the press would be interested in the contents of this tape. Right. The bloodhounds catch up to him. He he's, is he's limping along because he stepped on the glass. So, and the last shot you see of him is running through the fields with bloodhounds hot on his tail, and do 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 like. And it fade like like it fades to black. Yeah. Like, it's so disappointing. Yeah, Like nothing. I know. Like, it, a lot of talent in the hands of a not good director. Again. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is, we are forming this theory, and I think it's got some legs that when, when a director is good and has a clear vision of what he wants to do, especially with Cage in the movie, it turns out well, and the performance is good this just feels like someone who doesn't know what they're doing they don't know what they have in cage and just put out the a bland bland movie with great great uh, it's like you had all the puzzle pieces but you put it together wrong i would even go so far as to say the way that the end movie is written the ending is like why you know there's so much build up there's so many antics there are so many funny bits and you want it to go somewhere clever like you want it to be more than it is. You want this to end cleverly and to say, "Oh, look, the director knew what he was doing all along." And the way that it ends doesn't feel like that at all. It, it feels like there was a version of that movie 
right, that existed. And maybe they had to reshoot. Maybe it wasn't working in editing. And they just said, well, let's just end it. And so we have really no insight into what could have been. But, I mean, it just basically ends with Cage and yeah, how, Jackson, how do, like... Well, how do Amos and Andrew... So we know what happens to the police chief. Well, they, they, how do, they drive how away. How Amos and Andrew? They drive away. They get on the ferry to go back to the mainland so Amos Odell can get to Canada because he's running because he stole the car? Yeah. Like, I don't know who's chasing not, him. Still not entirely clear why he's running, but right. Canada is where he wants to go. He wants and... to go to Canada. Happens to be that Andrew's wife is waiting there. In like, the ferry line. Literally, they pull up their car, stop it, and she is right there. I, they, they did not... It does not seem like they had, had, had tried to coordinate this. But she's right there. It's just stupid. It's silly and... Okay. Yeah. Fine. They well, they say their goodbyes. Andrew gets out of the car, and Amos takes off. And there's this, you know, like throwaway scene with Andrew and his wife, and she says, "How's the new house?" And hey, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> oh, oh, what was that for? Well, I'm just glad to see you. That's all. How was your first night on the island? Well, let me just say that. Uh... I think the house is going to need a little more work than we thought. Hmm? <laughs> it just friggin' burn to the ground, man. I mean, like, cut your losses and go. And why would you even want to stay there on that island after I everything that's happened? And, and, then, and then, to add insult to injury, they end with the dumbest joke I've ever... Yeah. I, that possibly the worst. Firebirds was worse. Firebirds was a worse kind of, like, final trying to be funny and it didn't work this one's bad this is like cage is um sitting there saying well i can't wait to get to canada and they canada here i come canada here i come and he pulls off and he watches the car go out in the distance and then it pans down and he's heading south because he's too dumb He's got no sense of direction. Well, they just want us to believe that he's a bumbling idiot, but But they don't give us a reason for believing it. He hasn't been a bumbling idiot at all throughout the entire movie. He's just been kind of boring. Yeah. Like, he's not stupid. Yeah. He's not like Derek Zoolander who doesn't know what a Yugoogly is. Like, he is just a normal person who is kind of funny sometimes and a little weird. And mostly boring. But not stupid. Yeah, I know. Like, this is dumb and dumber level stupid. Yeah, I agree. Right? Agree. And it just kind of out of left field. Like, what are they trying to end it with a laugh that's, that's, oh, it's just, it's these kind of movies that really test my patience with Cage. It's not, I love his grand failures. I love really, really bad movies that he did that he really goes for it. I can't wait to see Wicker Man because, like, he goes for it. You know, I, I want to see him failing spectacularly. This is so much worse. And not to show my hand, but he's failing boringly. You know, what we are used to seeing in present day Cage and then what we have seen throughout his earlier career is he really puts himself into into the films that he does. Right. Whether they're good or bad films doesn't matter. I mean, he's done he that so himself, many times he puts in the himself, movies we have seen, right? Yeah, he puts himself all the way in. And this feels like the kind of film that he phoned in. And I do not say that lightly because he is not that kind of an actor. But this is how it plays. So either he did phone it in, which I kind of find hard to believe just given his track record and what we know about him, 
Or, like we've said, the director didn't know what he had, didn't know how to play it up. The story was bad. The script had it. I mean, the ending was just terrible all the way around. You could have actually redeemed the cartoonery of all the physical comedy. You could have redeemed the quote-unquote racial stuff that they were trying to address directly and indirectly. All of that just sort of fizzles out. There's no resolution of any of the race conversations or themes that they're trying to put forward. Like, if anything, they've just sort of made them worse. They've just sort of exasperated them. I mean, they come to a little bit of an understanding, but it's kind of a live and let live kind of thing. Yeah, that's all that it is. Yeah, it's... Anyway, we're we're getting too much into our analysis. That was Amos and Andrew, unfortunately. Yeah. We will be right back. But first, um, I need a palate cleanser. I need a little Mozart. So we will play a little classical music for you now, center ourselves, and be back to give you our ratings. With our ratings of Amos and Andrew, Britt, a little disappointing, but we'll see what you thought. In terms of entertainment, how do you rate this movie from zero to four stars? I I had to sit and think about this. The movie is not good. We have established this. It fails on many levels. It is not, as a whole, a well-done piece of comedy, which it is billed as on the DVD box. I believe that it is... The funniest, wittiest, most hysterical dynamic duo since Midnight Run <laughs> is the quote on the oh, back of it the DVD wishes box. It, was, it wishes it could hold Midnight Run's jockstrap. Yeah, I know. Seriously. But I can't not say there were some moments. Bob Balaban is one of those sure. moments. It's very funny. Some Dab- Dabney Coleman did some some funny physical comedy. He's, he's a good actor. I mean, he does what he does well. well he's a yeah, good character they're all, actor. They're all good actors. What I really want to do is give this movie like the lowest possible score. Don't do that. I'm giving it a two. Wow. It was That's... two or one. It was two or one point five. Okay. And I went with the two because I did laugh a couple of times at some peripheral stuff. Yeah, but two uh, is like a middle of the road entertainment, isn't it? Okay, I'm doing. Well, I'm doing a one point five. Okay, thank you. Okay. I, I really had a hard time because. It's not good, but we have seen worse movies where there's nothing redeeming, where right. we're laughing at how bad the movie is. Here I laughed at, at intentional, intentional okay. choices. Well, so there it we was go. hard for me. It was hard. Okay. Well, how about, this might be easier. How about on an artistic level? This, this movie is a film. Not only um, what is it trying to say socially, but how is it put together? Point five. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a work of art. And no. and again, they were. It's kind of like Zandali a little bit because it was trying to say something important and it failed miserably, which makes it even worse. I also give it a point five yeah. on the artistic scale. Very bad. Man, could have been cool. There's a lot of great movies out there that that speak to the issue of race, but this is not one of them. Okay, Britt, um, Cage's performance disappointing, flat, one dimensional, if that. 
it felt insincere. I yeah. get, it, it just did. I, I am, I regrettably give him a one. And that's exactly what I was going to give him to one. Come on, man. Yeah. You're better than that. The only thing I can think of, because this is the guy that did wild at heart. This is the guy that did even raising Arizona. He was lovably dopey. It, it, you could, you could have been high. I mean, the character high H I McDonough. And this movie would have been so much better. Just playing it a little bit more interestingly, giving the person like kind of a fleshed out character. We know nothing about Amos. And when he does kind of like let in about his life, it, it does. I think insincere is, is the right word. And so, yeah, I give it a one, two. So give me a second to tally this up. All right. If my math is correct, I think we're only at about 6.5. I believe it. It's it's not good, people. It's not good. It's. I'm finding it harder to be lenient with performances like this one. Yeah, I agree. Some, some of these movies that aren't good... Firebirds comes to mind. I still would recommend seeing because it's just fun to watch. It's just it's it's dumb, it's silly, but there's enough there that that you you should watch it. You get something out of it. You'd be entertained at the very least. I cannot say that about this movie. I basically don't recommend that you see it. Yeah, I would agree. Unless you want to, then go ahead. I guess that uh, just brings us to our patented cage cast running totals rapid fire questionnaire. And Britt, I'm going to ask you this episode. So here we go. In Amos and Andrew, is Nicolas Cage a lady killer? Well, for a brief period of time, yes, he is. I, yeah, I think he is. He's underage ladies, but ladies nonetheless. Yeah. Does he get drunk or high? Yes. Yeah. Plenty high. Well, and he drinks a beer. Probably not enough to get high. drunk, but yeah, he smokes weed. Does he have crazy hair? No. Okay. Uh, does he have a crazy voice, accent, or inflection? No. Just bland nothing. Just bland nothing. I couldn't nothing. even tell you where he's from. No, agreed. He's from nowhere and everywhere. Okay, uh, is there cage rage? Sadly, no. One of the rare films, I think, where we don't see even a whisper of it. None. Not not at all. But does he punch or get punched? Yes. Okay. He, he does, thankfully. Now, the question that's on everyone's minds. <laughs> does Nicolas Cage run with a flashlight? <sighs> no. But... Yes. We're getting closer. We are getting closer. Who does run with a flashlight? I was so mad watching this movie. Literally, I I got angry, and I shouldn't, but two different people run with flashlights in this movie. Uh, uh, Michael Lerner does at the very beginning, and the dude with the bloodhounds does at the very end. Yeah. Two different people run with flashlights. And Nicolas Cage doesn't. Listen. I actually, I rewatched it. You don't know this. I rewatched a little part of it because I thought he might have, and... And he didn't. He, he did. runs in the dark. You would think he would need a flashlight. People but run. People run with torches in this movie. I know. <laughs> no. I know. So. Yeah, we're getting closer, people. I feel we're like closer. I feel like we're gonna get to a point in the movie where he's got a flashlight and he walks with it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he walks with someone else who is holding the flashlight. Even more. Okay. Intense. All right. Well, that was Amos and Andrew. Let's put it behind us and uh, talk about our next movie, 1993's Red Rock West. Directed by John Dahl and starring Dennis Hopper, Laura Flynn Boyle, and of course, Nicolas Cage. Now, I'm excited about Red Rock West. Are you? I'm very excited. You know why? No. I haven't seen it. I know very little about it. Red Rock West has the highest Rotten Tomatoes score out of any Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, ever. really? Absolutely. It's got a 95 <gasps> on Rotten Tomatoes. That makes it exciting. I feel like it really could be the diamond in the rough that we're 
waiting Hoping for. for. I really, really, I'm really, excited. really excited. The question is, dear listener, <laughs> have you seen Red Rock West? I want your thoughts. You can email them to us at ilovecagecast at gmail.com. Also, if you had thoughts about Amos and Andrew, share them now. I would love to hear them. Give them to me. You can send us your review, like I said, via email, or we can get you on the air. Call 3308-CAGE-OK. That's 330-822-4365. You'll leave a voicemail. We will play it. Please help with your thoughts. Music this week can all be found on the Amos and Andrew original motion picture soundtrack. Our theme song was written by Chris Cornell in Soundgarden and performed by Johnny Cash. Let me ask you this, Britt. Did I sound too needy? When I was begging people for their thoughts and their feedback. Needy, yes. Like emotionally. Too needy. Barren. There is no such thing as too needy. All right. Well, just any amount of desperation is the right. Yeah, thing. yeah. And in, in, in more neediness, go to iTunes and leave us a four or five star review. It will help. It will help me personally. It will help me overcome this desert of sadness that this movie has left on me. We'll be back next time, but until then, we leave you with a reminder that, white boy, you are definitely headed in the wrong direction. I've had enough of this. I'm going home. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you can check my blackness fact, cause I'm rough as a cactus. Now I gotta change what I practice. So I went to the suburbs and bought me a big house, and now they want to run a brother out. I'm a well-educated young Sitting here doing the same things again. Great. Doing the same things in the same chair at the same time. The police chief is running for commissioner. But if I get out of this, chief, I'm getting ya. Chief needs a cover up plan because he heard I'm famous. Call a crazy white boy name was Amos. I thought Amos was a burglar. But when he saw me, he said I never heard of ya. Nicholas Cage. I'm Britt Porter, and with me for this special bonus episode is my. Oh, you said you were Britt Porter. I'm. Br- is that what I said? Oh <laughs> yes. no. Yes. Oh indeed. no. I wondered. Oh, what an interesting <clears throat> twist of fate. I'm Britt Porter. Um. <clears throat> hello, and welcome to Cage Cast. The- I may not look like Beaver, but you don't either. I bought a big house full of breather. Even in the suburbs, cops are my enemy. And all the rich liberals ain't friendly, so Amos got a shotgun and I In most PG-13 films, you are allowed one utterance of the word fuck. We have a little wow. game. We have a little... That might be your first utterance. Uh, on this podcast. Sure. Certainly not or, in Or in, certain, no, in life. Well... I'm shocked. My ears. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, they they give the they give the fuck to uh, Cecil Tolliver. They sure do. They do. Wow, it's you know powerful. So lucky bastard. <laughs> wow, you're just letting it fly. Well, yeah, <laughs> okay. I am now. Oh, goodness gracious. Getting my check, boy, the hell with them propers Life still ain't changed, cause I gotta get my hustle on Just to get these cops gone Four or five mil can't make my race change It can make the pace change, but it won't maintain I can't go outside the jog Cause my next door neighbor got a prejudiced dog But it's America, home of the free Life in the burbs ain't nothing like TV Now I'm running for
hood told the cops. It was a black man. Mr. and Mrs. Gilman next door. Puffing on a joint, kinky to the core. And that's the typical role model. White picket fence, big house, and a bottle. Who can I blame for the stereotypical mix up? The innocent again get tripped up. Things are supposed to change when you go to my size. Open your eyes to my suburban nightmare.